The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Today is a historic day. Not only in the United States, but in the world. It is the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And we could have the conversation we're going to have today any day because the foundation of it applies more than just on a landmark commemoration of one of history's uh, most enduring events. But it's a good time to be sparked by the motivation of reflection as we think about Not just what happened in Pearl Harbor 80 years ago today, but could we handle that kind of a situation today? Are we good stewards of what our predecessors modeled in the aftermath of a sneak attack on the United States Navy? I'm Bruce Hooley. It's the Bruce Hooley Show. We'll go until 1 o'clock today. We'll hand it off to Dennis Prager as we do every day. Uh, appreciate your participation in the program today. Our phone lines are 844-TALK-989. I'd like to talk to veterans today. Now, you don't have to be a veteran of Pearl Harbor. And it struck me yesterday, um, 80 years, you're in the military then, you're approximately 20 years old. I mean, there cannot be very many surviving soldiers who experience Pearl Harbor. And that will be the loss of something great and enduring for our country when the last soldier who was there that day and survived the attack dies. But I'm afraid that what those soldiers modeled has either died or is dying, and it's a transformative time for us to resuscitate it because as we speak today, our president, Joe Biden, is meeting with Vladimir Putin. Uh, Vladimir Putin has troops poised It appears to invade the Ukraine. Similarly, China has designs on taking over all the way in Taiwan, having already flexed its muscle there. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, Japan, on December 7th, 1941, perceived that if they could hit our naval forces hard enough, that they could essentially win a war before it started against the United States. They underestimated our resolve. And that's the common thread. Those Russian troops are looking longingly at taking over the Ukraine, and China is making inroads into taking over in Taiwan because Chairman Xi and Vladimir Putin have assessed our resolve as a nation and the competence of our presidential leadership, and they find us lacking. They are not intimidated by us. They do not respect us. They do not fear us for myriad reasons. Number one, they know that the reaction out of the United States electorate to any kind of military force, involvement, engagement, in the Ukraine or Taiwan, would not be 
popular. And certainly, even if there was a significant portion of our country where it would be popular, it would not be universally popular. That was the situation on December 7th, 1941. Now, I know it's different. I get it. Those are not Americans who would be killed in the Ukraine or in Taiwan. And I'm not even saying that we need to respond militarily to those two situations. I'm saying that we've gotten ourselves into a situation with a series of bad decisions over time that really make the Ukraine and Taiwan situations untenable for us no matter what our response is. We send in the military, that will be... (laughs) First of all, I'm not sure that we we have a competent enough military to execute that. And that is a direct reflection on my view of our generals and our leadership, not at all on the soldiers. But that would be something that would not be popular at all. And why is that? Because we had a situation on foreign soil under control, and we bent to, I'm not even sure there was a loud cry for us to get out of Afghanistan. There's always been a nagging cry to get out, but the way we got out was so incompetent that that is the trigger point on the descent of Joe Biden's popularity. Go back. Now everybody's posting the stickers, I did that, next to the gas pumps. and They're mocking Joe Biden for his many faux pas, verbally and mentally. If you want to find the tipping point for that, when even the in-his-pocket media decided that it would be okay to tell the truth about Joe Biden's lack of acumen as a president, it was when our soldiers were blown up at the Abbey Gate in Kabul, and when our withdrawal was humiliating, rather than the extraordinary success Joe Biden branded it. So he's lost the faith of the American people, and no one has faith in his vice president. And if you think that happens and nobody outside America notices, well, I would argue that the situation in the Ukraine and the situation in Taiwan certainly would dispute your view that Afghanistan did not have far-reaching consequences. Also, we've fallen into this mindset in America that any kind of force is bad, whether it's law enforcement or military. That was not the way it used to be. In our country, we used to have respect for law. We used to have respect for order. We used to have an awareness that criminals belonged in prison or behind bars or at least needed to be held accountable for some, at, to some degree for their behavior. Now, it's okay to steal. Just make sure you steal only up to $1,000. And if we arrest you and you can't afford bail, okay, no cash bail. Now, the first prison interview by Daryl Brooks, the driver of the SUV that killed seven people in Milwaukee, has happened. And Daryl Brooks says he feels like he's being demonized. 
I can flat out tell you that nobody who did in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, nobody in those eras who did what Daryl Brooks did would have even had it in their mindset that they are somehow in some way a victim after what they did. But we have cultivated that. We have fertilized that idea. And boy, has it ever grown. A Navy veteran this past week told the New York Post, the pride that people had in the military and in joining the military after Pearl Harbor no longer exists, which is a shame. It's definitely a shame. It's also fatal to our continuing as the kind of country we have been. So it's ironic to me that Pearl Harbor happened 80 years ago today at about a quarter to 1 p.m. Eastern time, just after 7 in the morning in Hawaii, well, 45 minutes after the hour, 48 to be exact. And 80 years later, an American president sits down with the Russian president, making lots of threats. Don't you dare go into Ukraine. There'll be severe consequences. And nobody believes it. Funny, not in a humorous way, but in a sad way. That even after Japan sank, what, 12 of our warships in the harbor? Killed more than 2,000 of our soldiers? Clearly surprised us and landed what appeared to be a great victory? Their naval commander said that his fear was not that, or his expectation was not that they'd won the war, but that they'd awakened a sleeping giant. Can we even wake up our president? Can we wake up his party? Can we wake up our country? Or are we just permanently asleep at the switch? 80 years later, it seems like a pretty operative time to ask that question. So we don't have snow on the ground, but we do have schools that are not in session today. Well, a school, Pickerington schools, are not in session today. Okay, that's not exactly accurate. They're, they're in virtual learning. Uh, what are the chances that all those kids at Pickerington today, when they found out, hey, we're going to virtual learning, said, oh, okay, hold up, let me sit down at my laptop and log into Zoom and get right to it. No, I would imagine that they are doing other things today. Why are they off school today? They have a water main break or gas leak? No. They don't have enough bus drivers to get the kids to school. Westerville experiencing the exact same thing. Westerville going to early release today because they don't have enough bus drivers. So this is yet another outgrowth of the pandemic and the wrong-headed, even if well-conceived, idea to shut everything down. Shut it down. We'll be safe. No. No. We've lost businesses. Heard a survey today on the Hugh Hewitt Show. 
It says kids are like two grade levels behind in elementary school in their reading and their social development. Two, two grade levels behind. Did we sit out two years for the pandemic? No, we did not. We set out one, in some cases, not even one. So the ROI on shutting down is quite astronomical. It's quite high. It's quite debilitating. Quite problematic. And how will this manifest itself over time? Will these kids eventually make that up? Will they graduate school at the same level that they would have otherwise? Or will they graduate always behind? It's a ticklish issue. It's a tough issue. And schools are going to have to figure this out. I don't know how they're going to pay more because there are other options now. Bus driving always fit a niche employment group. If you wanted to work in the morning and want to grab a few more hours in the afternoon, it was perfect for you. That was in the day before what? Uber. That was in the day before DoorDash, before ride-sharing, before... I don't know, Amazon. It was in the day before all of that. Now we have a vast number of delivery services. Kroger will bring your groceries right to your door. I think Walmart will too. And those same companies offer the same thing that bus driving used to offer. Flexible schedule. Except those companies pay more, nicer perks. Nobody yelling at you while you drive. Nobody playing loud music on the bus. No fights to break up. No incredible high degree of responsibility. I mean, when you're shepherding 20, 30 kids home or to school, that's big-time responsibility. Yes, I know. Somebody's hamburger delivery for dinner is a big deal to them. It's not a big deal to the rest of society. So I get it. I understand why schools are having a hard time finding bus drivers. They pay less and require more for a job that does not offer the same satisfaction unless you're a super people person and you really like engaging with the kids. But most people, given the choice, would probably rather do it alone on their own time. And let's face it, a company like Amazon can offer all kinds of perks that a high school cannot. What perks could a high school offer you? Free admission to uh, basketball games? I suppose that's valuable to some people. But Amazon can trump that ace without too much problem. So that's why, and I think we're only going to see more of this as we go on. It's just another one of the aspects of the pandemic that nobody figured would be a problem they'd have to contend with on the back end. And I understand you cannot see all the unintended consequences of any action. But hopefully, hopefully we've gotten enough of a glance or a glimpse at the fact that Things we think are simple binary decisions. Am I safe if I stay home and lock myself in my house? Yes. Okay, then that's what I'm going to do. Well, now we know that that's bad for you socially. It's bad bad for your health in terms of your weight. How many people gained weight during the pandemic? i got to raise my hand to that one. So... You would think we would have learned our lesson, but no, we have not learned our lesson because New York City has given its residents uh, three weeks to deal with the most oppressive lockdown vaccine mandate 
type mindset in the country. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, the outgoing mayor of New York. Oh, boy, did he have a present for his people in New York City on his way out of office. Here is Mayor de Blasio announcing the policy yesterday. We in New York City have decided to use a preemptive strike to really do something bold to stop the further growth of COVID and the dangers it's causing to all of us. So as of today, we're going to announce a first-in-the-nation measure. Our health commissioner will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as of December 27th. We're going to have some other measures as well to really focus on maximizing vaccination quickly so we can get ahead of Omicron and all the other challenges we're facing right now with COVID. Great idea. That'll crush small business. That will keep kids ages 5 to 11 out of indoor spaces. Sorry, can't go to McDonald's. Can't go to a basketball game at your school. Can't go anywhere if you don't want to get vaccinated. There seems to be no adjustment, no recognition of mistakes past that have led to undeniable multiplied consequences across the board. And this is not, it's not smart, but it's also not surprising. Because if there is any kind of principle that defines the left, it is that they appear to be committed not to diversity, not to equity, not to inclusion. Well, they're committed to that, which, by the way, I have some amazing numbers on what Ohio State is spending on people who are charged with upholding diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. But the overwhelming thing that the left appears to be committed to is the complete and utter suspension of responsibility and accountability. Think about that. Weren't you raised to be responsible? Weren't you raised to be accountable? Are we still extolling those values, those virtues? Or are we teaching kids that nothing is their fault? We'll delve into that more next on The Bruce Hooley Show.